Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. It's time for another show dedicated to the world of keto. Check out ketoreset.com for details about my New York Times bestselling book and send your questions to info at ketoreset.com. Hey, listeners, Brad Kearns here. Time for another keto show. Questions and answers, we call it. And we have some wonderful ones here. I do ask people to write concise questions that are applicable to the broad audience, but sometimes people uh, write some long stuff, but it's so valuable and relevant to a lot of people that uh, I'll read through it. But when you're telling that life story stuff and your splits at the various stages of uh, your competitive event, that's when we want to edit a little bit and get to the question so we can all ruminate and learn some interesting things. So feel free to write a lengthy story if it's uh, going to be good content for the show. I appreciate it very much. Info at ketoreset.com is the email address. Uh, questions, comments, feedback, anything you want to share. I appreciate it. We're in this together. It's a group effort. Uh, that's why we did the Keto Reset Mastery Course. So if you look at ketoreset.com, wow, you have the ultimate resource to do this stuff the right way to succeed, to make it a lifestyle transformation rather than a quote-unquote diet or something to do as a folly before your uh, summer cruise where you want to get into bathing suit form or these short-sighted, short-term goals that we so often consume. We want this to be a transformation where, uh, like Mark Sisson says, you're eating in the keto zone or you're living a keto-friendly lifestyle. And we use terminology like that very carefully in the books and in the videos uh, in writing because we want to make sure it's a bigger picture than you sitting there with your blood meter and judging success or failure uh, depending on how high your numbers are. And I think there's a lot of that going on in the community where it's some sort of contest or a chase of numbers. And a couple of the questions get into that. And me personally, having uh, dove deep into this, especially in the process of writing the book, The Keto Reset Diet, I uh, was measuring my ketones all the time. I was tracking my macros, all in the name of experimentation and the ability to uh, put in some relevant and authentic commentary into the book. Uh, but as the years go by or the months go by, I'm now in a reflection mode where I don't really feel like living in that regimented a manner. It's very difficult for me anyway. I like to be freewheeling, intuitive, especially with my dietary habits, even with my training patterns. I'll just kind of do what I feel like each day. And that truly does represent the highest level of sophistication and I believe effectiveness when it comes to pursuing your fitness goals is you just have to take what your body gives you each day and nothing more. Never force the process of fitness to happen unnaturally. Same with dietary transformation, probably, where if you plunge into something with this strict, devoted, intense, regimented manner, uh, you will succeed for a certain length of time. And then these natural forces of the human uh, wanting to seek pleasure or avoid pain, as Tony Robbins says, there are, those are our two uh, fundamental human drives, what happens is we will drift away from things that are not natural and easy to maintain. Johnny G, my man, the creator of the spinning program, former race across America, ultra marathon cyclist champion, and uh, he made this great quote, only things that are natural and easy to maintain are healthy. 
So if you're doing something that doesn't feel natural, like writing down your macros every time you consume a meal or uh, severely restricting uh, your food choices to the extent that you're actually not enjoying your meals as much as, uh, as much as you could, or you're feeling a sense of negativity or frustration as you proceed with uh, some sort of dietary protocol, these are not natural or easy to maintain. Therefore, they are literally not healthy. And oh my gosh, I've just been enjoying some uh, programming from Deepak Chopra, the great uh, mind-body author and wellness physician. And he's talking about the psychological aspects of health and especially longevity and his book, Ageless Body, Timeless Mind, a classic from the early 90s. Uh, he talks about some studies of centenarians around the globe, pockets of centenarians around the globe, and the common factors that they have. And the most profound one that researchers agreed was that they have a youthful spirit. That is their number one most profound longevity factor, more so than the fact that they have a low-carbohydrate eating pattern or a high-carbohydrate vegan vegetarian eating pattern or that they walk 12 miles a day or whatever because these are not commonalities among the unique pockets of centenarians around the globe. But everyone who is over that magic number of 100 uh, feels young. They have a youthful spirit and that's a strong predictor of longevity. Interestingly, this might not be super accurate, but I remember we were looking up some fun stuff about longevity statistics and I believe it's... Right now, 2018, there's about a half a million people across the world over age 100. Isn't that amazing? A half a million of them. I know we get celebrated in the local newspapers around America when somebody turns 100, and it is a pretty huge deal. But when you think about it, with that many people, that's like five football stadiums full of old people. Very, very impressive. And I believe the projection is that uh, in the next, uh, in the coming decades, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, um, we're going to have a couple million people over 100, people routinely living in excess of uh, a century, uh, especially if they're listening to good podcasts and taking considerations about uh, their dietary choices, their sleep habits, their exercise habits, kind of unplugging from the uh, extreme, overly stressful influences of modern life. And speaking of Deepak, he also is uh, quite concerned for what he calls the collective insanity of the modern world, especially the political leaders. And he has some nice choice comments for, for Trump, uh, just the way that he's conducting himself and some of the uh, ways that he's departed from uh, loving kindness and things that are so big to, uh, to Deepak, kind, compassionate, loving heart, things like that, that he talks about and writes about. So wherever you stand politically, we can all agree that right now we're in this age of basically you could call it uh, violence on all levels, not necessarily physical violence or not only physical violence, which of course is happening at all levels, but also the uh, emotional violence and the arguing and the, um, uh, you know, picking fights and oh, so many, so many problems. So he's worried for the future of humanity. He says we're on the path of extinction unless we turn things around. But in the next breath, he says that he feels hopeful that as this collective consciousness grows, that's his quote, collective consciousness uh, grows in the direction of uh, wanting to pursue things like health and balance and love and wellness. Uh, we will turn things around, but we need to have some critical mass going. And boy, thank you so much for listening and being part of the ancestral health movement, primal paleo, keto. These are things that are generally going to be regarded as uh, promoting health, wellness, longevity, 
hopefully happiness and just generally enjoying your life more. I know the concept of escaping carbohydrate dependency and becoming fat adapted, which is so foreign to most people, really could represent a tremendous awakening uh, to <laughs> have more enjoyment and less stress in your life. It really, really is tough to be dependent upon your next meal uh, for your mood, energy, cognitive function, and all those critically important things. And I know uh, as an athlete, when I was eating so many calories and trying to fuel this crazy daily training regimen and constantly stuffing my face, and that sensation I'd get if I'd miss a meal or bonk out there on a long bike ride or something where you're just miserable and all of a sudden you're just ground to a halt, you're performing wonderful uh, for hours and hours, and then pretty soon you're on the side of the road with a headache, uh, that's no way to live. It's a real bummer. Same with you know going through your commute home and you're crashing and burning and feeling horrible and craving some junk food and then you slam down the junk food and uh, have a, a little tiny blip of energy and then you plunge back onto your couch for the rest of the night just not feeling like moving. And that's the real life story for a lot of people and it's a tough way to go. So when you can break free from that dependency, oh boy, you're just humming along all day long, whether you have a meal or not. And that is the true beauty and the most benefits of uh, being into this keto thing. So let's put the blood meters on the back burner and just strive to be really good at burning energy internally, uh, including all kinds of fun practices like keto aligned meals and uh, fasting, and maybe even targeted carbohydrate intake around your athletic or your fitness efforts to ensure that you recover and perform well and staying away from that controversy and that black and white thinking where we're debating uh, the pros and cons and, and taking a side of the fence and wondering if it's either, uh, either vegan or keto, who's right and who's wrong. And in fact, as I've mentioned before uh, on this show and others, uh, my good man, Rip Esselstyn, a prominent figure in the uh, the plant strong, the vegan movement. So kind of on opposite sides of the debate when we're talking about dietary habits. But uh, when you get down to it and when we visit together and have these nice long talks and shared meals, we realize that we have a lot of common ground between the hardcore vegan plant strong baby and the hardcore keto person uh, where, you know, bacon, bacon and eggs is okay and not necessarily uh, for the hardcore vegan. But we also, you know, want to emphasize uh, plant-based meals and plant foods and uh, get away from those overly processed nutrient deficient foods. So there's a lot of checkpoints where we're in agreement. And then the particulars are something that are probably best left up to you and your personal experimentation as opposed to uh, going into... Uh, debate mode and not really uh, having that personal experience to uh, reference as probably the number one most important thing when it comes to uh, dietary decisions and patterns. And boy, I'm uh, to finish my thought when I got hardcore into the keto and measuring and all that stuff, and it kind of I kind of burnt out on it honestly. And now I'm more in this intuitive pattern where a lot of the time I'm probably in that same. Uh, hardcore keto category where I'll look through my day and realize that I didn't consume uh, an appreciable amount of carbohydrates and probably qualified for the keto club with 50 grams a day or less. And maybe the next day is a different story because I decide to bust out the popcorn machine and eat some popcorn while I'm enjoying a great movie like Hangover 3 last night with my kids. Hilarious. Uh, we got away from all the drunkenness and the debauchery and had a good little adventurous movie. So uh, leveraging the first two, which if you 
like that stuff. You'll get plenty of that in the first two movies, but the third one was just a good old thriller and the characters coming back to life and doing funny stuff as always. Great lines by Zach Galifianakis. And yes, it included um, probably a, a large to extra large ingestion of popcorn. Go put a ton crap load of butter on that stuff. Uh, so that's good. That helps uh, mute the glycemic response. But my main point is if I feel like doing something la- like that, I'll do it. And it's very easy as we talk about all the time to recalibrate the following day. If you do depart from uh, this low carb keto baseline that you feel is most healthy for you, easy to recalibrate. And then finally, uh, because I'm sort of giving you guys a um, uh, an out, you know, like Brad Kern says he eats popcorn, so I'm going to do that too. Yeah, that's fine. But I also want to put in a plug for uh, tremendous respect for making the best and healthiest choices and being very mindful when you do celebrate or indulge. So there's a huge difference between uh, driving by the 7-Eleven and grabbing a pint of you know synthetic, highly processed, preservative, chemical-laden ice cream, low-budget stuff, uh, and you know consuming it while you're driving a motor vehicle because you decided that today you're going to uh, honor the maximum of everything in moderation or that you're just going to uh, blow off some steam because it's the weekend and you were really good the whole week or any of those kind of things where you're mindlessly throwing junk down your body. There's a huge difference between that and going to the 4th of July party where the guy Steve comes with his homemade ice cream barrel and cranks it out right in front of your eyes and gives you a scoop of this homemade vanilla ice cream. So once a year, I've indulged in that for many, many years. You get in line with all the little kids or sometimes push the little kids out of the way to make sure that you get up there before he runs out. And you know, a small, what is it, a half a cup of this stuff that's probably made with, let me guess, cream, sugar, ice, and some vanilla drops and taking every bite and enjoying the heck out of it and thanking the person that took the time to make it. That's a huge difference between that and being in that mode where you're allowing leakage into your daily life over and over and over again, followed by rationalizations, okay? So I'm not giving you permission for rationalizations. I think that's a path to pain, suffering, and being discouraged about uh, living in a manner that's incongruent with your stated goal. So I'm very big on saying, okay, I'm going to enjoy some popcorn tonight. Every single bite's going to be uh, a celebration. I don't have to have that every single night as a, as a mandatory routine, or I'm going to enjoy this homemade ice cream on the 4th of July party, and probably once a year is plenty for something like that because it's so special. And then uh, sticking to you know excellent choices of the healthiest, most nutritious foods and mealtime habits that are calm, quiet, and celebratory rather than throwing stuff down your throat on the go, even if it's healthy stuff, because we have a lot of healthy eaters who have unhealthy dietary habits. They're just checking these boxes like, yep, all this stuff is keto approved. Oh my gosh, my friend just read me over the phone the other day. Eddie Boy, Eddie the Ashcan Man, doing fantastically well after heart attack, heart surgery a couple years ago. Uh, He's down about 40 pounds, doing sensible endurance training, Uh, just finished a two-day fast. Oh my gosh, this guy's in a groove and generally eating in that primal paleo keto aligned pattern. But he said, hey, what about these keto bars? Let me read you the ingredients. And it took like five minutes for him to read all the crappy ingredients in there. And it was really disturbing that, um, you know, here's here's a synthetic extruded product that 
uh, I guess is uh, low enough in carb or they're claiming that because there's all these net carbs in there, these alcohol sugars, that's malatol and the other stuff that it's uh, giving a, a free license to use the word keto on the label. But mainly it was a lot of synthetic ingredients, a lot of processed stuff and, you know, milk solids and things like that where uh, you're kind of distant from the wholesome, natural, nutritious foods of the planet Earth. And if you want a snack, I mean, I I much respect to the bar people that are doing uh, clean work like Lara Bar, longtime friend of mine, former sponsor of my events. And you look at their label and it's fruit and nuts only. Uh, probably too many carbs for anyone in the keto movement to be interested in, but at least she's putting out something clean. But most of the bars are just a lot of synthetic ingredients and there's no reason to have them, especially when you consider that a handful of macadamia nuts might be a much better option, just as portable, just as convenient. And for me, like my go-to snack is high cacao percentage dark chocolate from a bean to bar fair trade provider. And that blows away any energy bar I have seen, okay? So go for the chocolate bar instead of the energy bar and you'll be better off, especially that garbage that comes with all those chemicals and ingredients that you can't pronounce, no matter if it says keto on it or not. Whew, how's that for an opening monologue, man? Getting going here, filling some time. Okay, here's a cool question from Eric. Eric says, Chris Walker says, that glucose is required to cause hair to grow. I don't know if one needs to supplement with fulvic minerals, but what's the deal here? Are people doing keto wrong? Does keto have a downside of causing hair loss and thyroid issues, even if it's done correctly? Um, Okay, (laughs) pretty random uh, throwing out there. Chris Walker, by the way, is this guy who's uh, become a testosterone expert, a young fella, and had an incredible story of how he his health bottomed out in college to the extent that he went in and got tested and his testosterone was at zero and he had a tumor on, uh, I forget where the tumor was, uh, somewhere in his endocrine system, he had some serious problems that uh, the doctors wanted to operate and do this huge protocol and he refused and decided to heal himself naturally by switching from the college diet of top ramen and pizza to natural nutritious foods. He toned down his chronic training patterns. I believe he was training for a collegiate triathlon competition. So he's pushing himself really hard every single day with ill-advised workouts and then trying to make it through classes and just adding up to too much stress. So he started taking these hour-long walks around campus. We did a great show way back on this Primal Blueprint podcast channel. So Uh, go on to blog.primalblueprint.com and there's a search bar uh, on the left side. There's a few different uh, areas where you can uh, input information. So make sure it says know what you're looking for specifically or something and you'll see that Google search bar and you can type in any name of any guest we've ever had and the show will pop right up. So he was one of our first guests and talked about his journey back to health. It was fascinating and it was very, very much related to um, holistic uh, lifestyle efforts to boost testosterone rather than uh, a, a sneaky peaky uh, supplement regimen or a drug regimen. So uh, yeah, the guy was 24 years old or something with a, a zero testosterone. So um, if he says something about glucose, hey man, let's pay attention. This guy knows what he's doing. He's been deep into this. Uh, my answer that I wrote in writing back to Eric was, you know what? Glucose is necessary for a lot of things. Uh, I'm not sure if it's 
where where the role is in, in growing hair, but it makes sense that if you're a healthy person, uh, you get enough protein, you get enough uh, carbohydrate, you get enough fat, uh, that's going to contribute to uh, healthy hair follicles and hair growth. And probably hair falling out is a bad deal. Probably means something's uh, troubling with your health practices, your lifestyle. So uh, my blanket answer to, to escape from uh, the corner, the cornering here, as I said, the good thing about keto is that it takes you down from the wildly excessive carbohydrate intake of the standard American diet, and then you still consume and manufacture plenty and preserve plenty of glucose for normal, healthy metabolic function, including hair growth when you're in keto. <sighs> How's that sound? Uh, and then secondly, with that question of are people doing it wrong, and is there a downside to keto of such things like hair loss? and thyroid issues. Um, and so I write back, uh, have you heard of uh, Luis Villasenor's site, ketogains.com? So he and Tyler Cartwright, the, uh, the kingpins of that keto gains operation are doing a great job with a large following and a lot of case studies of the do's and don'ts and uh, pulling together some of the most common mistakes and how to avoid them. And Luis is big on uh, pointing out the distinction between doing things correctly and doing things incorrectly and how nicely you can screw things up when you're doing things incorrectly. One big mistake that many keto enthusiasts make is not getting sufficient electrolytes and minerals, especially sodium, potassium, and magnesium. And if you get deficient on electrolytes and minerals, you are going to feel tired and lethargic and you're probably going to crave sugar and have all kinds of negative aspects of your keto adventure. And you might even blame it on uh, the macronutrient composition of your diet. In other words, wow, that cutting carbs didn't work for me. It was too tough, and I felt tired and lethargic. But it very likely could be that you are deficient in sodium, potassium, or magnesium. And as I've said before, I speculate that I was one of those people because the first time I tried keto back in April 2016... I bombed out after three weeks. I just had a rebound where um, I started binging on all kinds of food, uh, not necessarily like big carb binges, but I, uh, I went from this nice stable pattern of not feeling hungry, uh, feeling fine for a few weeks, and then one day I just kind of cratered. And there could be other contributing factors like my training regimen where sometimes I'm uh, guilty of uh, overexerting myself because I'm an old guy. I'm still trying to do power explosive workouts that take a long time to recover from. But I also believe that um, the transition to keto, as we know, uh, entails a reduction of inflammation in cells throughout the body, particularly from removing the inflammatory foods uh, like gluten and also from a little bit of glycogen depletion because you're not stuffing your face with carbs every single day. So that's how you get that 10-pound weight loss in one week. It's the reduction in inflammation and also glycogen depletion. And then you're going to stand in this place where because your cells are retaining less fluid, they have also shed uh, some electrolytes and minerals. So you're down on uh, water, you're down on fluid, Therefore, you're down on sodium, potassium, magnesium. So you have to make a concerted effort to add back those agents as your body adjusts to its new dietary patterns. Uh, the recommendations, we put these in the Keto Reset Diet book after consultation with many experts, Dom D'Agostino included, where he touts the uh, goal of taking in five grams of additional sodium per day uh, when you're in keto. So that equals a teaspoon, right? 
And when you're shaking out of a bottle, that's a lot of salt. So make an effort to uh, shake, shake, shake and put it on your vegetables. I like to put a few shakes of salt into every time I fill up my water container so that I'm always consuming uh, a more balanced hydration uh, fluid instead of just water. Kelly Starrett talks about this too, where the athletes, if you go and do a heavy workout and you're sweating and you grab a gallon of water and you chug it down in seven minutes, what's going to happen is your body's going to be overwhelmed by that fluid. It's going to try to rebalance things. And so you're just going to pee a lot of it out. Whereas if you sipped a solution that contained uh, a reasonable amount of sodium, a pinch of sodium for every cup of water, let's say, and perhaps other electrolytes, and even glucose has been found to speed the uh, osmolality of the fluid coming uh, into the cells of your body. Interesting, huh? So you have a little free pass to take uh, Dr. Maffetone talks about the homemade energy drink of like a teaspoon of honey, uh, some salt, and shake it up in water. And there you go. You can save uh, $4 on uh, your colorful blue, green, or silver Gatorade. So yeah, make that effort to get that five grams of extra sodium in. Make it a good quality source of sodium, like real salt. These guys I met at uh, Paleo FX, I was already buying their product, a uh, fabulous product with uh, the Himalayan pink salt uh, containing um, 84 other prominent uh, minerals and agents that are supporting health rather than the iodized salt, which is simply sodium. It's been processed and bleached out. And so there's not a lot of nutritional value where uh, a natural salt product like the pink salt or the sea salts will give you all kinds of other complementary benefits and stuff you need. Same with um, magnesium. Uh, the recommendation a prominent recommendation kind of cutting across a lot of experts is 400 milligrams per day. That's a common size of a magnesium supplement pill. Uh, I've seen 200 and I've seen 400. So you take a couple of magnesiums and then potassium too, which you can get from uh, great dietary sources like the avocado as the champion of all potassium sources. Does it have a thousand? Oh, sorry. I, I know the recommendation is to get a thousand milligrams of extra potassium a day. I think that's one avocado. Not sure though, but eat the avocado anyway and then check back later, okay? So doing keto correctly, then you don't have to write into a podcast wondering about hair loss. And I don't know if Eric's losing hair or not. Maybe he's just concerned about that uh, from the sidelines, wondering if he should go keto. He doesn't want to lose his beautiful mane of hair or whatever. Um, he also uh, kind of chips back in uh, with a reply and says, uh, I also want to remove a little bit of this spare tire at the age of 53. And when I saw that, I perked up and said, hey man, welcome to the 53 club. All right. And um, personally, I realized that it's sort of now or never time at this age to get this stuff handled and handled for good and then heading off into the later decades uh, without that slippery slope downhill when you let yourself go a little bit, because a little bit can uh, become exacerbated, especially when it comes to the uh, strange and unusual topic of uh, the accumulation of abdominal fat. It is known that abdominal fat behaves differently and is considered its own organ because it secretes inflammatory cytokines. It's difficult to shed, and if you start to accumulate some, you prompt the further accumulation due to inflammation and other factors. Uh, this was me talking, and I wanted to kind of get more support for my general understanding of belly fat. So I brought in Dr. Kate Shanahan, the queen of all things uh, health-related, primal paleo, keto, 
go to Dr. Kate, you will get the answer. Okay. And what does she say about belly fat? First, she says, look, there's two locations where belly fat develops, that your subcutaneous fat under your skin and the visceral fat, which is internal surrounding your organs. And these two are different in almost every way. The former, the subcutaneous fat uh, underneath the skin is genetically driven and also driven by hormones, including cortisol and by ordinary overeating, right? You eat too much food, you're going to start to accumulate uh, fat um, around the skin. Uh, The latter, the visceral fat is driven by polyunsaturated fatty acids. So including those vegetable oils in the diet will mess you up and those uh, calories have a high propensity to be stored as visceral fat, the most dangerous kind of fat. So the visceral fat is driven by intake of these bad oils that we've been warned so sternly by Dr. Cade and others to get rid of completely 100% zero tolerance, uh, driven by vegetable oils, inducing inflammation and insulin resistance, and not so much by cortisol. Okay, so the latter, the visceral fat, is the one that secretes the bad stuff, the inflammatory cytokines. The former, the the, uh, subcutaneous fat, is more variable, and the inflammatory nature of it or lack thereof depends on the driving factors behind the weight gain. Too many carbs, too much fat, what kind of fat, how much stress, is the person hyperinsulinemic, and so forth. Okay, so the net result, the end goal is, of course, uh, live in calorie balance or you know, strive to reduce excess body fat by creating that caloric deficit. Once you're metabolically healthy, don't forget Dr. Tommy Wood's recommendation that don't even think about losing weight until you're metabolically healthy. If you have leaky gut, if you have other signs of inflammation or immune dysfunction, forget about it. Just get healthy. And then uh, once you get healthy, then you can get fat adapted, right? Then you can be comfortable at skipping meals. Again, not worrying a bit about uh, dropping body fat until you become metabolically healthy and fat adapted. Then we can start to play around. We can fast in the morning, skip breakfast, get into good patterns where you can conduct fasted workout and turbocharge fat burning and start to see some of that weight come off really uh, uh, efficiently uh, without that, that struggle that comes from uh, caloric restriction and extreme exercise patterns and things like that. So my suggestion is that people that are on a plateau or are generally healthy and just looking to uh, just drop that belly fat a little bit is shock your body once in a while with things like extended fasting and combining fasting with strenuous workouts. Number one best workout to stimulate the reduction of excess body fat is uh, sprinting and running sprinting, weight-bearing sprinting because of the... uh, the message that sends to the body when you're doing a weight-bearing explosive activity, uh, the penalty for carrying excess body fat is extreme. It's not as extreme if you're sprinting on a bicycle. That's why you see some large uh, bicycle sprinters that don't have a concern about having to carry that uh, against gravity. Same with swimmers and things like that. But the, uh, the sprinter, the running sprinter, Uh, as we like to quip and get silly at the um, live lectures and stuff. Have you ever seen a fat sprinter? (laughs) The answer is no. Have you ever seen a fat endurance athlete? Yes, about half the the field is probably over their um, uh, ideal body composition. In fact, there was a study from uh, the Cape Town Marathon in South Africa uh, of the participants in the marathon, and they identified that 30% 
of the marathon finishers were classified technically with BMI category, right? As overweight or obese. And it just happened so that the World Health Organization global study identifies that 30% of the global population is categorized as overweight or obese. So the world at large has the same rate of uh, being overweight or obese as the participants in the Cape Town Marathon. So if you envision going down there and being a spectator on the side of the road watching the marathon, the participants are indistinguishable from the spectators. Something is wrong with that picture. And we convey this message to the endurance community that if you're a devoted endurance athlete and you're training for many hours a week, there is no way you should be carrying excess body fat. But in fact, many people do and they struggle mightily despite their training efforts and even devoted attention to choosing healthy foods. They struggle because they're in this carbohydrate dependency eating and training pattern. So basically what they're doing, uh, if you compare them to the person at the next cube who doesn't exercise, is that they're eating more food, burning more calories, eating more food, burning more calories, and the entire commitment to exercise and training is resulting in a wash when it comes to the desire to reduce excess body fat. So enough of that nonsense. That's why it's so urgent to get fat adapted, especially if you're an athlete. And then once you are, uh, returning back to my answer for Eric to try to get rid of that spare tire, that tiny spare tire, uh, consider pushing yourself really hard now and then in workouts and also going past the edge of discomfort a little bit with some fasting and that will really turbocharge fat burning. So this message uh, we convey very carefully in the Keto Reset Diet book because, and we bury it way deep into the book that, hey, look, if you're doing this stuff right and you're checking these boxes and saying, yeah, I'm into this, I'm careful, uh, I've built up a lot of momentum with fat-adapted, low-carbohydrate eating patterns, I'm exercising sensibly and not chronically, and I still have a desire to drop a few, it's time to get a little uncomfortable and push out to the limit once in a while. Simple as that. But don't do it until you're ready. Okay, how about that? That's enough of... Um, no, it's not enough about the belly fat issue because this is a huge uh, concern, not only for males hitting up to around that age 50, uh, but also females, right? So Eric is uh, wondering about uh, the source or the, the cause of that. And he says, look, um, I'll tell you something. I worked out one third as hard as I do now when I was back in my mid 30s and I got way better results than I do now. I've always been pretty wiry. So this chunk of belly fat is a drag. And I know a lot of people are saying, hey man, just take the testosterone replacement therapy and that stuff will come right off. I don't ever like the approach, this is Eric still writing, I don't ever like the approach of trying to solve a symptom of something without addressing the three, four, or five potential causes behind that. And personally, I don't like the thought of having to become dependent on some kind of supplement that is ultimately going to make my body stop making something naturally. <sighs> I agree with you, man. I think that the hormone replacement therapy is an emergency last resort when you've tried everything uh, to optimize your health, diet, and exercise habits, and uh, things are still uh, unsatisfactory in, in regards to uh, your blood values and your energy recovery. And I think that's um, a very rare occasion where you have to turn to that and, again, uh, most likely becoming dependent upon uh, outside injection of testosterone. Some people are flat out saying this stuff is um, you know, not going to work that well because if the underlying uh, problem is not solved, such as, let's say, leaky gut, inhibiting your efficient 
uh, assimilation of nutrients from the diet. So you're going to be chronically zinc deficient because you got issues and that's going to make uh, it difficult for your body to uh, benefit from the even the outside introduction of testosterone after a while, arguably. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you can just uh, needle your way up to um, efficient function. But from what I've t- people I've talked to, uh, including uh, elite athletes, you got to have the whole picture in view rather than just seeing uh, a quick solution. And we're so accustomed to quick solutions, right? Uh, look at the top 10 list of most common prescription drugs, the statins, so that you don't have to change your diet. You can just take this and become heart attack proof because yes, your cholesterol levels will drop. But as my main man, Dr. Ron Sinha, author of The South Asian Health Solution and prominent physician in the Silicon Valley working for large employee groups and trying to reverse heart disease risk by dietary modification. As he reminds us, 80% of heart attack victims have an LDL value that is considered in the safe range. This is from a meta-study out of UCLA, a study of hundreds of studies of heart attack victims. So if all these people are dropping with their LDL under 100, what the heck's going on? And what's going on is this is a poor indicator of heart disease risk. Forward-thinking physicians like Dr. Sinha and Dr. Kate Shanahan are instead recommending that you focus on your triglyceride levels and getting those urgently under that 150 safe level, and then ideally wanting to get those triglycerides down around the same number as your HDL. So the triglyceride to HDL ratio, the aspiration to get that to one-to-one or better, is the most reliable indicator of your heart disease risk. If your triglycerides are high, then it's likely that the LDL that's going around in your bloodstream is uh, too high in the small dense LDL, the potentially problematic type of LDL that lodges on the walls of your arteries, becomes oxidized and inflamed, causes that immune response, the macrophages come, and then you get a clot and you have a stroke or a heart attack. That's if you have uh, an adverse value for small dense LDL. So there's two kinds of LDL. There's small dense and there's large fluffy LDL, which is generally harmless and benign. And a lot of times people, when they're uh, increasing the fat intake of their diet, will experience an increase in the total cholesterol uh, number. And then their doctor will look at their blood tests and say, yes, I'm a little concerned. Your LDL is high, but they don't even bother to test for particle size, which is a critical uh, next level to truly assess risk. And if you have a low triglyceride level, like me, my triglycerides are down in the 30s, 40s, 50s, something like that. My HDLs in the 50s or 60s, so I'm above the one-to-one ideal ratio. Uh, if my triglycerides are low, it's uh, pretty certain that uh, I don't have a lot of small, dense LDL floating around trying to lodge on the walls of my arteries in that oxidized and inflamed state that's caused largely by high insulin producing and also a high stress uh, lifestyle. Okay, so focus on triglycerides to HDL ratio. Think bigger picture than this dated concept that LDL is a number that's going to correlate with your heart disease risk. And whew, closing it out for uh, the discussion about belly fat. Uh, should I take hormone replacement therapy? We had another questioner. I don't know if it was on this show or the Primal Endurance show, but he was 34 years old and the doctor wanted to give him testosterone replacement therapy. Wow. I mean, that's some, that's some scary uh, thinking there when you're thinking that narrowly about a problem. But again, our, we're asking our doctors probably, uh, we're 
asking too much of them if we want them to be our wellness consultant as well as our physician. So it's a good place to go when you're uh, in trouble and, and having a health problem or need to get uh, a screening and those kind of things. But uh, there's a lot of responsibility that we come to the table with where if we're suffering from low testosterone, we got to look at those causes like Eric writes. And I have a nice article on my blog. You can find it from bradkearns.com where I relate that uh, I took a testosterone test uh, in um, early 2015 and it was, or mid 2015, and it was clinically outside of the uh, low uh, range. So I was clinically hypotestosterone. If I had presented myself in a clinic with an endocrinologist, they would have wanted to give me testosterone replacement therapy. But I knew it was from a sustained pattern of uh, excessive uh, endurance training because I just ramped back up after 20 years of kind of casual approach and I was going for my speed golf goals and I was running uh, at slightly too elevated a heart rate many, many days a week and I'm out there on the golf course having fun and enjoying myself but pushing myself a little bit too hard and over time uh, digging a deep hole for myself finally resulted in um, a, a, a emergency appendectomy and some complications after that. You know, my health fell apart People say the appendicitis is random, but I strongly believe it was predicated by uh, doing uh, excessive exercise for several months before that, as revealed also by my testosterone levels. So then what I do, I recovered. Uh, I got more sensible with my training. I lowered my heart rate down into the uh, maximum aerobic zone, 180 minus your age and beats per minute for the vast majority of my workouts. So I started to feel strong feel better. And I went in and repeated the test and I had more than doubled my level of uh, free testosterone, which is uh, far more important to measure than your serum testosterone or your total testosterone. So the free testosterone number indicates how much is circulating and acting upon target organs in your body doing what it's supposed to do, right? So I went from clinically low to a number that was in the 99th percentile for uh, my age group, and in the 95th percentile for males age 20 to 29 in the peak of their testosterone production years. So I went from, um, you know, a, a, a medical case to a guy who was, um, you know, giving me uh, the thumbs up all the way through. And of course, feeling great in my workouts and uh, reporting, you know, health and vitality and all that great stuff. Simply by changing my lifestyle for a short time, I was only five months later when I took the other test. So something to think about when uh, someone's trying to push, um, push something on you that's kind of overriding the cause. And that's a good place to close it. Thank you so much for listening. Write your comments, questions, feedback into info at ketoreset.com. This is Brad Kearns. Have a great day. So Chris Kelly, Nourish, Balance, Thrive, we're, we're talking about health and you're telling me a funny story about your picky four-year-old daughter that won't eat unless there's Primal Kitchen uh, condiments on the table? It's true. My daughter will not eat unless there's f***ing the Primal Kitchen Wilder. <laughs> it's, it's this cute thing, actually, she does. We have a local state park called Wilder Ranch. Oh, yeah. And uh, she calls the ranch dressing Wilder Ranch dressing. Which <laughs> we, 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 there's no way we're going to correct her on that. It's just too perfect. It's so, so endearing. Uh, how old um, is she? She's four. Oh my god! So she likes like the mayo on. Oh yeah, she so she loves those. So we love them as well. We have uh, we we eat them all the time. We eat the mayo. We eat the balsamic. We eat the 
the ranch, um, the avocado oil we use all the time. And, and so, you know, that's completely genuine. And I don't mind talking about that because you took the pain in the arse out of condiments. I really appreciate that. What an authentic spot from Chris Kelly at Nourish Balance Thrive. And yes, Primal Kitchen, you can call it Wilder Ranch Dressing if you want. <laughs> and uh, we'll send five cents of the proceeds over to that beautiful state park as they're, they're trying to make ends meet in Santa Cruz Mountains. Thank you very much, Chris. <laughs> it's my pleasure.